We're going to start a new uh, series this morning, um, and it's just simply entitled Jesus. And the goal of this series is to really drill down and take a look at Jesus more closely. Uh, Hopefully you're aware, I mean, Jesus is at the center of our faith, right? I mean, without Jesus, we have no Christianity, Um, And so knowing what Jesus taught and knowing how Jesus lives is is critical. It's it's crucial. And so today we're going to begin this series. It will go on for probably a couple of months. I don't have an end date on it until uh, until I feel like we've exhausted who Jesus is and we have a good understanding. So today I'm going to look at the question and explore the question, is Jesus God or man? And... um, this is a question that's been tossed around. You might think, well, he's God. We just worshiped him, Pastor. Come on. Um, but it's been a question that's been tossed around, discussed, debated since Jesus walked the earth, uh, which is crazy to think about. I mean, look at Jesus' question to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 and 16. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so even then, people were talking about, Well, Jesus is one of the prophets. And then his disciples were like, No, he's the Son of God. And so there was even this debate while he was alive at who he was. Now we know the Jewish, the Jewish leaders believed Jesus to be a man and not God because they condemned him and crucified him, right? Um, but Jesus himself answered the question in several places in Scripture. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. That's pretty straightforward, right? Um, I and the Father are one. And then in chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, Jesus himself, and we, can, we could sit here and, and use our whole time this morning to look at scriptures where Jesus himself said, uh, I am God. Uh, I am from heaven. I am from the Father. Um, and answers this question. And I want to present to you, if, if you ever struggle uh, with this at all, uh, or if you have somebody who's challenging you and you c- kind of don't know how to respond, here's a simple way. Um, Jesus predicted uh, his death, not only uh, that he was going to die, but how he was going to die, his burial, and his resurrection. He predicted it. And then he pulled it off exactly how he predicted it. Do you think somebody who predicted their death, their burial, and then that they were going to rise again after so much time, and then was able to pull it off, that's not a normal person. They should be worthy of being listened to, even at that level. So Jesus proved he was God 
by doing just that. He predicted his death, burial, resurrection, and he, and he, he did all that he predicted. Um, so, uh, so if Jesus was, is God, is he still human? And does that even matter? And, and we're going to get a little uh, heady historical for a few moments. Some of you love that. Some of you don't. Just hang in there if you don't. Um, but just want to uh, share some things with you. You see, in the early church, uh, a lot of disputes broke out around this subject. Um, Christians believed he was the Son of God, the Messiah. But how was he both the Son of God but truly a human being in all respects. And there was a lot of different teachings and a lot of different views. Um, the terminology used to describe all this conversation is the, called the incarnation of the Son of God. So if you ever hear anybody refer to the incarnation, they're talking about the whole conversation of God becoming man and whatnot. Some of those teachings uh, early on in the church that you may even hear uh, rumbling around in society today. The, one of them was a Gnostic teaching, which was that Jesus only appeared to be a man, but he was always only God. He just was a man in appearance. He wasn't actually a man. Um, there was the Arian uh, teaching that Jesus was a created being, uh, something less than God but greater than man, something kind of in between. There was the Nestorian teaching that implied that the, the Son of God uh, and the man Jesus shared the same body but were two separate people. So you had two people living in the same, two persons living in the same body. Um, so these were three common ones, uh, popular ones. There were, there were a lot more. Uh, but you can see these conversations and debates within the church about God, about Jesus. And so all of these disputes led to the Council of Chalcedon, October 8th through November 1st, the year 451. It took place in Asia Minor, and uh, scholars, teachers, religious people, anyone who cared to, to weigh in on the subject came from all around the world, and they had this, what they called a council. Um, and it was just basically uh, a big room of people arguing their point. We kind of see a, a, a form of this in our uh, like lawmakers' chambers where people stand up and they share certain things and somebody shares this and so some people agree and some disagree and they argue about all the different points. And so uh, after uh, 25 days, which is an extremely short period of time as far as councils. There was one during Martin Luther's time in the 1500s that lasted for years, not just days. So it was a very short period of time. Um, they came out with the Chalcedonian Creed, and it was agreed upon by the scholars of that time that Jesus Christ has, is one person with two distinct natures. He is fully God, and fully human at the same time. This confirms what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us. The Son is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact reputation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is God, right? And then John 1, 14, um, John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that God is fully human. He's flesh. And so they agreed that said, no, he's not one or the other. He's not two in one. He, he is one person with two very distinct natures. Now, uh, if you're like me, before I went to Bible school, all those kinds of things, I was like, why is this even important for me to know? Uh, it's God. Jesus, I don't really care, right? Well, let's talk about why it's important. Um, throughout history, people have fixated on just one nature uh, of Jesus to the neglect of others. They've either focused really heavily on his divinity, meaning his, his God, God-likeness, or they've focused really heavily on his human nature and his humanity. Um, And so when this happens, uh, different things result. Let me show you. Here's a picture of uh, early Christian artwork that depicts Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Um, I just want you to observe Jesus. And what do you notice? First of all, there's a blue light around his head signifying holiness, and he is separate and different. Um, He's hanging on the cross. Jesus looks really frail. I mean, if I saw a person walking around like that, I would buy them a cheeseburger. Like, right? That's a very skinny man. Nobody else sees that? Okay. Just, Just frail. Um, and he's got some nails and whatnot in his hands and feet, but uh, not a drop of blood anywhere. Pretty clean, sanitized. Here's another one, more, more recent. Um, again, an a artist's depiction of Jesus, and this time uh, he's a little bit more meat on his bones, got a little bit of blood around him, but still this... Um, uh, I, when I see this painting of a famous artist, I feel like Jesus is posing for a magazine. Right? Like, like here I am. Like, like, was that really what was going on? Still, he's very clean. I mean, somebody, as the Bible depicted, who was beaten, who carried his cross through the city and outside the city, who they threw him down on the cross and nailed him and, and lifted him up, like, Makes me think they washed his body and tied his little loincloth on really nice after the fact. Like it's, right? Like our Instagram pictures. And then there's this one um, where Jesus is on the cross and I don't really know his face is kind of like, sit, yeah, here I am. Like there's no agony, there's no pain involved, there's no, it, everything's wrapped in gold. Um, Jesus is very clean, um, So, there's this, I show you these because this was the common view uh, of churches in a period of time that elevated Christ's divinity. Um, Jesus is clean. He's pure. He's sanitized. He lives in a very different realm than us. He's untouchable. 
And that's the perception you may have grown up in a church culture that really focused on Jesus' godness and how he was very separate and very pure and um, these kinds of things. And not saying it's bad, we're just talking when we get to an extreme and you view Jesus as only this, um, we know this is not a correct picture of what happened on Calvary that day. It becomes distorted. Now, um, when we look at Jesus' humanity, let me show you a few pictures. Uh, I know this isn't a picture of Jesus, but if you've read the book or see the movie, um, Jesus is a good teacher. He was a good uh, man, a good moral. He was just a man. And uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, one of the prominent characters in the story finds out that she is the last blood descendant of a marital relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So just spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, it's been out long enough. If you haven't read it by now, you're probably not going to. But that's how the movie ends with this person. So Jesus was like a normal dude. Just really good guy. Or Jesus is my best friend. He's the cool Jesus. Right? This is called uh, Buddy Christ. And it's literally a statue somewhere. We're depicting Jesus as hey, you know, I'm hip, I'm cool, right? How many know that we've, you have either thought this or you've run into people who thought like the song Jesus is my best friend is their theme song, right? Like, I mean, Jesus are hip. Or it goes the other extreme. Man, Jesus is with me when I'm partying, Right? I mean, we're, he doesn't judge me. He's right there with me. We're buds. He's got my back, right? This super focus on the humanity of Jesus. Now, let me, if you grew up where in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a world where Jesus, the, the side of Jesus that was divine was focused on, his godness, his pureness, his, this is highly offensive to you. You're like, how dare they desecrate Jesus like this? Right? Like, it's something inside you wants to rip somebody apart. The point is, there's extremes. And when we focus on either extreme, whether we focus on just his divinity or just his humanity, we get a distorted view of who Jesus is. Holding to both natures is extremely important. Let me show you in Scripture both his, his natures. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So with Jesus as God, he has power and authority over all things. All things in heaven, all things on earth, all things under the earth, all things around the earth, all things meaning all things. So what does this mean? If Jesus has all authority and he has all power, then he is able to fulfill all the promises that he made while he was on earth. It's not like, I hope I'm able to fulfill these. This is what I'm hoping to get done. These are goals I have. Uh, You know, these are my eternal goals, but, you know, something might get in the way. No, he has all power and authority 
if he says something that he's going to do, he's going to do it because there's nobody who can stop him. That's what all power and all authority. He has all power and authority over sin and death. So when he says, hey, for those of you who believe in me, you will rise from the dead and come to live with me forever. He has the ability to carry that out because he's God. Now when he says he's going to judge the living and the dead, guess what? He's God. So when, he, when Scripture tells us that there's going to be a day when, the, when both the, uh, the living and the dead are brought and they stand before God, uh, before Christ for a day of judgment, he's going to judge us. And there will be punishment for those who reject him and there will be reward for those who didn't reject him. That's who he is. And he has the power and the authority to do just that. Which is why he said to his disciples, uh, don't fear, fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and put your soul in heaven or hell. So he has this ability. He has this power. He has authority and power over space and time. He is ruler of all things. This is the, the divinity, the God side of Jesus Christ. And if, you, if, we, if we remove that part of him, then he's not ruler. He has no power. He has no authority. He has, he's not going to do anything he said he's going to do. He may wish he could do, but if he's just a man, he can't accomplish any of that. It's just a good story. But if he is God then he can and he will do all these things, which makes him the object of our worship. And not only is he the object of our worship, he's worthy of our worship, deserving of our worship, because he's God. So the divinity of Christ is extremely important, and we've emphasized, uh, the church as a whole has emphasized this, and I'm, hopefully I'm repeating things that resonate with you. So it's important to hold on that Jesus Christ is not just a good moral teacher or was a good man who walked the earth. He was God. And being God, he has all power and all authority over all things, including you, whether you like it or not. The other side of this is humanity. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Some of you ever wonder, like, why they put these little things in there? Like, born of a woman. Why does that need to be put in Galatians? Because reminding the reader that Jesus was fully human. And we know this because throughout Scripture we see things like, Jesus was thirsty. He was thirsty on the cross, right? He said, I thirst. He was tempted. There were times he was filled with compassion. There were times he was angered. There were times he grieved. There were times he wept or cried. There were times he slept. He fell asleep in the middle of a storm in the ocean. I can't even sleep in a moving car 
Jesus fell asleep in a boat being tossed around. He was tired. Jesus ate. Jesus drank. Jesus laughed. And I know this might rock your world, but guess what? Jesus defecated. Use the bathroom. Jesus sweat. After a hard days of work, guess what? He probably stunk. He was a man, a human being like you and like me in every single way, shape, and form. And this is the lesser side of Jesus that we talk about in the church world because we say Jesus is our act of worship and his humanity doesn't really evoke worship, right? His divinity is what evokes worship in us. His humanity kind of feels like it brings him down. We're going to get to that, why it's important that we recognize his humanity. But I want to settle with you for a moment to realize that all of the things that you face, grieving, fatigue, anger, temptation, uh, the struggles in life, the cleanliness, I mean, he, he had to groom himself. His feet got dirty when he walked. He was a normal guy, just like you, just like me. And I say, guy, I'm sorry. I mean, gender, he's a human. He's a human being. Why did he need to be human? Why, you know, why couldn't he just have the form of a human and walk around? He was God. Why is this even important? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, talking about Jesus, says he did not enter, talking about the temple, by means of the blood of goats, which, pause, um, Hebrew law, under the law of Moses, required that your sins be atoned for by the sacrifice of an animal. So the animal had to be sacrificed, its blood spilled, and, uh, and then your sins were covered. And so he's saying here is, he didn't enter by means of blood of uh, goats uh, and calves, so he, but he entered the most holy place once uh, for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So guess what? Jesus had to become a human so that he could bleed. So that with his own blood, he could pay our debts so that we could have eternal redemption. If Jesus isn't a man, you don't have any redemption. If Jesus doesn't spill his blood, there's no price has been paid for you. You're lost in your sins. You're lost to try to do some other kind of religious ritual with which you can appease God. So, without Jesus becoming a human, there's no payment for your sins. There's no blood sacrifice for it. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So, hey, Jesus entered into, into the temple. He paid our debts. He ascended to heaven. He's next to God the Father. 
let us hold firmly to our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. What is Hebrews telling us? That Jesus can empathize with our weaknesses. That he knows what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tired at the end of the day. He knows what it likes to be filled with emotion, whether that be anger or whether that be compassion or whether that be anything else. He knows what those things are like. He can identify with where you're at. That's what Hebrews is saying right now. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's saying, listen, since we know that Jesus has done this, since he's ascended, since he's purchased this, and he was a human, and he empathizes with us, he knows what it's like to be human. We have confidence to approach God's throne and receive the grace and the mercy we need to help in our time of need. I mean, as a human, God, Jesus Christ, gives us the example on how to live. Because if, if Jesus was just separate, was just God, yet he's up there telling us, hey, um, this is how you need to live your life. How, how many of us um, would appreciate um, some distant king or monarch expecting something from us that they themselves can't identify with. Like rich people making all the laws for poor people. They don't know what it's like to be poor. Why should they make the laws? Right? We, like, why should somebody else who has no idea what it's like for me come up with the rules? It's not fair. They have no clue what it's like to, to, to live. And it's the same with Jesus Christ. As a human, he knows exactly where you're at. And so when he teaches uh, to follow him, to seek God's kingdom first, to love your enemy, to do these things, he's saying, hey, follow me. Come do as I did. It makes Jesus very tangible. And it removes away the excuse that says, well, He's God. Like, of course. No, he was fully man. So it makes Jesus come closer. It makes him an example for us to pattern our lives after. Because, I mean, who can pattern their lives after God? Right? I certainly can't. Living in some unapproachable light, some pristine, you know, perfectness. None of us can. But Jesus, fully man, now he's come close. Now he's given us an example. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 18 tell us that Jesus had to become human. Since the children have flesh and blood, meaning us, he too shared in their humanity 
so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. How many know uh, those of who don't have a confidence in their salvation, who, who might be distant from God, when the time comes near to the end of, there's fear. I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. My, I don't want my life to be over. But if you have this confidence that, hey, when I close my eyes in this world, I will be invited into an eternity with Jesus Christ, our fear turns into hope. And so this is what he was saying here. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Here's the point. We're talking about Jesus' humanity and his divinity. And when Jesus is both God and man, he teaches us how to worship and he teaches us how to live. Holding both are extremely important to our faith. If Jesus is just a good man, he's got a good teacher, we should follow his teachings, but he has no power, he has no authority to do anything, to change anything, to save you, to heal you, to reconcile you to God. It's just good teachings like every other philosopher, religious leader around the world. But if Jesus is just God, he's only an object of worship. Our sins aren't atoned for, and we have uh, no one to identify with who sets an example for us on how to live our lives. A correct balance of both is important. Jesus was fully God, and he's fully man at the same time. Today, I think our, our uh, encouragement and our challenge from all of this is that let's commit to worshiping God, uh, Jesus, as God, like we, we've done this morning. We've, we've come here and we said, you're my, you're my God, you're, you're my King, you're my Savior, you're my Lord, you're uh, rightfully so, you're worthy of my praise, you're my adoration. But then on the flip side, say, you're also my example for how to live this life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at your example. I'm going to look at your teachings. And I'm going to pattern my life after what you taught uh, in word and by your action. And you may argue, well, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless as a, as a human. I'm not. Agreed. Agreed. But since when, as human beings, we all have an understanding in our mind of what perfection is, right? And all of us strive at some level for that. Let me give you an example. Like, we're in football playoffs. 
we all know what a perfect quarterback would look like. And we all realize there is no perfect quarterback. There are some that are closer to perfection than others. But there's no perfect. Right? We all know what a... Let's take it outside of that. Let's say we all know what a, an idea of a perfect tree. But you walk through the forest. You ever tried to pick out a Christmas tree? We have in our mind the idea of what a perfect Christmas tree is, but you never find one, do you? There's always something on the tree that's not perfect. So you look for the one that's closest to your idea of perfect. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect human being. He's our idea of perfection. And so we strive in that direction to be as close to perfect as we can. We apply our lives we change our lives. We tweak our lives. And, and, and I had a conversation with someone this morning. Uh, this doesn't happen overnight. And you run into a lot of haters. I thought you were a Christian. You're like, yeah, I'm just not a perfect one. I'm getting there. It's like the tide. We, we live near the ocean. When the tide's coming in, it takes... How long does it take, Julie, how long does it take for the tide to come in? Six hours. Right? A quarter of the day. What my point is, uh, from low tide to high tide, it's a six-hour process before it gets there. It doesn't happen like this. If it did, that'd be, every fisherman, every boating person would be freaked out, and so would you if the water was just all of a sudden here, and that was, instantly. Our lives are like the tide a consistent pushing and moving towards God and becoming like God, we, 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 we get there. We move towards being better and better and better. And it doesn't, who cares if you look and say, well, there's somebody who's more like Christ than me. So what? Keep moving in that direction. It's not a contest. Keep moving towards Christ. That's our life's work. That's our life's joy with Jesus Christ as our perfect example as a human being. So let's commit today. I'm going to close in prayer. Let's commit to worshiping God, worshiping Jesus because he's God, and following Jesus because he's, perfect, he's a perfect human. And by holding the two, we find ourselves in the right balance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. That God became a human, fully God and fully human. And it's that incarnation, that per- perfect balance, uh, that gives us hope for our future. Gives us hope that God has made a way, that God has come down and and created a pathway for us for redemption, for not just redemption in this life, but an eternal redemption. That we can, we can be saved from our sins and we can live for an eternity with God. We thank you for Jesus' humanity. The understanding that we don't serve some distant God who doesn't care about us, who has no idea of our needs, or any of those kinds of things. Because Jesus came and was a human being. He experienced the same things we experience every day on this earth. And it's through that that he offers grace and he offers mercy and he offers us 
an ideal and an example to strive after. So Jesus, we ask you today to to help us with our worship. Help us put you in your right place and not just keep you as a some sort of friend or good teacher that, oh, we might consider your teachings. Help us remember that you are God, that you hold all power and you hold all authority over our lives, but that you're also human. Help us remember that you, you can identify with us when we're weak, when we're frustrated, when we're emotional, when we're any of these things that we can turn to and you know what we're going through because you went through it. Help us to follow you as the example. Not, not Paul, not the Apostle Paul, not Peter, not James, not John. Although they're great saints and great teachers, you are our example as a human being to live after. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I praise we leave this place that your presence would go with us, that you'd protect us, that you'd bring us back together, that you'd bind us together as a, as a community. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Good to see you today, church. Good to see you online if you're joining us. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you next week. Uh, God bless.